Thank you, team, so much for leading us, and thank you, Anderson, for uh, for serving this morning. And if you got your Bibles, Luke chapter twenty-four is where we are going to be kicking off this Christmas Advent series. Uh, super excited as we walk through, really celebrating the arrival of Christ incarnate, uh, the Savior of the world. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, 4 and 5, not where we're going to be this morning, but a verse we'll reference uh, as we walk through uh, the next couple weeks says this, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And I love that as believers is that we are adopted into the family of God. And it is through a relationship with Jesus that we have this rescue from our sin and rescue through relationship. The whole Bible, the whole Bible, one story. It's about one person. It's about Jesus. It's about two events, his first coming and his second coming. His first advent, his second advent. Advent means coming or arrival. And so today, as we uh, prepare our hearts to, to walk through this Advent season, this season of the coming of Christ, uh, we're going to be lighting a candle each time we gather. As you see, we have an Advent wreath, and uh, each Sunday leading up to Christmas Eve, we'll light, and each candle represents an aspect of spiritual preparation for the celebration and arrival of the birth of Christ. And today, we look at and light the candle of hope. It's also known as the prophet's candle. It's also known as the expectation camp candle. That prophets of the Old Testament, that they waited in hope for the Messiah's arrival. Hope is a word that we use a lot. Maybe you used it yesterday. Like You hope you have enough gas in your tank to get to the next stop. Or you hope your team wins. There are a couple of football games on yesterday. Uh, not saying anything about that. Uh, this Wednesday before Thanksgiving went to the Honey Baked Ham store and and I, I wasn't sure at first why all the people were standing outside but it was the line and so I waited in line for two hours to get one of those hams and and the whole time I'm hoping that there will be a ham in the two hours it takes me to get up there uh, and the ham was good and they did run out of turkeys though but it was so good it was so good so we hope we use this word a lot but most of the time, hope is tied to wishful thinking. We hope, we hope, wishful thinking. When we talk about hope as a believer, we're talking about something that is very different. We're talking about a biblical hope. It's a confident expectation. It's not a wishful hope or a wishful thinking. It's a firm assurance regarding something that might not be clear at the moment. Uh, for many of you, we're walking through this Advent journey uh, journal on the side, the, the Louis Giglio study. Each week has a theme, but this week's theme, and I love it, is that God is working while we're waiting. And so in these moments and seasons when we feel like, why isn't this happening? Why, what's happening? What's going on? That the whole time while we're waiting, that God is working. God is working. And so today, as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 24, we are going to see this confident expectation that we have as believers, the prophets of old had of the coming Messiah. So Luke chapter 24, a day like none other, the greatest day in history that we're dropping in on 
as we read this text, this is the day that the tomb was discovered empty. And this is one of those post-resurrection encounters that Christ had with followers. And so let's look at Luke chapter 24, verse 13. The Bible says this. It says, that very day, two of them, these two men were going to a village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now remember, this is... This is the Passion Week. This is the Passover week. So, so it could be that these two guys would have been in that crowd on Palm Sunday shouting Hosanna as Christ made His triumphal entry into the city. That this was the week as Jews all gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, that it would be on that Friday that Christ would be crucified for the sins of the world. And so they are talking about all that had happened. Verse 15 says, And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. I love this passage because all through Scripture we see a God who is pursuing people for a relationship. He is pursuing the invitation to invite them to become adopted sons and daughters. Last night I had a Awesome opportunity to serve alongside a great team from our church at Memphis Union Mission. Uh, served a meal there. Uh, and Andy Milligan spoke last night, shared his testimony. Such a great word. And one of the themes of Andy's testimony was how God pursued him. And he kept pursuing him. And I would say in the room today to be encouraged that for those in a relationship with God, praise God that God so loved the world that He gave, that He gave His Son. And for those who may be in the room or listening online that don't have a relationship with Him, to know that God desires a relationship with you. And He's the only one who can forgive you of your sin and grant eternal life. He's the only one. Verse 16 says, But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him, and He said to them, Jesus says, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And as they stood still, they were looking sad. They were, they were without hope. They were looking sad. Verse 18 says, and then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he, Christ, said to them, what things? Now, Jesus knows absolutely everything. He is omniscient. He knows everything. I almost, I think of the show Undercover Boss when I see this passage, just because if you've ever seen that show, they, they wear terrible mustaches and dye their hair and they look, they look completely different. And they're trying to like kind of go a covert op and find out what's going on. Well, Jesus knows exactly what's going on, but yet they don't recognize him. And so Christ is pursuing them, walking alongside them, having this conversation. And he said to them, what things? They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had a hope that Christ was the Messiah. But here's the thing. A lot of folks, even back then, they had this idea of, what the Messiah should look like and what they should do. They were looking for someone to rescue them from the tyranny of Rome. They were looking for someone to relieve the political power of Rome in their lives and the stress of that day. 
They were looking for a conquering king just to come and just take over and set up rule. But the word says he is the conquering king, but he is also the suffering servant. He's the suffering servant. They said we had hoped that he, speaking of Christ, was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Verse 22 says, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us, and they were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Christ says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer, that these things and enter into his glory, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I see in the, this, this patch is a couple things, but, but one is the fact that these, these, these men had a pulse on what was going on. They had a pulse on who the prophet was, Christ, although he didn't quite do or live up to what they thought he should or do. That these guys had a knowledge of Scripture, but they didn't believe the Scriptures and who they saw in Christ. And so that, that I see this a lot of times, even in our world. It's like this knowledge of the Scriptures, like knowing the answers, being able to fill in the blanks, maybe even quote a few verses. But yet when it comes to truly believing the Word of God, that there's a bit of a disconnect. And there's a bit of a disconnect in these guys' lives. And, and also, just important to remember that the Bible of Jesus was the Old Testament. That as he is speaking of the Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written before their eyes. And so he's, when he's quoting the Scriptures, he's referring to the Scriptures, how they all point to him. And so you would think that maybe the resurrection itself would be proof enough that he is the Messiah. But listen to what Jesus does. Jesus convinced, is convinced that he's going to show them how every single page of a book that was written by 30 different authors over 1,500 years had consistently told one story, and it was all about him. It was all about him. And, and we, don't, we don't have the recording of the Bible study that he had. I mean, you think about it, this was the first Bible study after the resurrection. I would have loved to have heard it or seen it or read it. But, but the fact that, 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 that Christ says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he walked through how showing the Old Testament was all about him. How he was that fulfillment. And we don't know exactly what he said again. But it could have been something like this. And, and, and I tried to find and cite who initially wrote this so I'm not sure but uh, it's a powerful picture of what perhaps could have been said that it could have been something like this that in Genesis I was the word of God creating the heavens and the earth that in Exodus I was the Passover lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the doorpost of your heart so that you could escape the bonds of slavery that in Leviticus I was the temple the holy place where you met with God in Numbers, I was your ever-present God, your pillar of cloud by day, your pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, I was the prophet coming who is greater than Moses. 
In Joshua, I was the conquering warrior leading you into the promised land. In Judges, I was the broken Savior rising up to rescue you. In Ruth, I was your kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, I was the pure-hearted shepherd king who rushed out to face your giants all alone. In First and Second Kings, I was the righteous ruler. In First and Second Chronicles, I was the restorer of the kingdom. In Ezra, the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, I was your advocate, risking my life to restore you to royalty. In Job, I was your living redeemer. In the Psalms, I was the one who hears your cries. In Proverbs, I am wisdom personified. In Ecclesiastes, I am the meaning that lets you escape the madness. In the Song of Solomon, I am your lover and your bridegroom. In Isaiah, I was the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. In Jeremiah, I am the spirit that writes God's laws on your hearts. In Lamentations, I was the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, I was the river of life bringing healing to the nations. In Daniel, I'm the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, I was the ever faithful husband pursuing my unfaithful bride. In Joel, I was the restorer of all that the locusts had eaten. In Amos, I was your burden bearer. In Obadiah, the judge of all the earth. In Jonah, the prophet cast out into the storm so that you could be brought in. And Micah, the everlasting ruler, born to us in Bethlehem. And Nahum, the avenger of God's elect. And Habakkuk, your reason to rejoice even when our fields are empty. And Zephaniah, the great reformer. And Haggai, the cleansing fountain. And Zechariah, the pierced son, whom every eye on earth will one day behold. And in Malachi, I am the son of righteousness, rising with healing in my wings. And the Bible doesn't stop there. He came. He came. The Messiah has come. Jesus is the 100% complete satisfaction of everything they had been longing for, praying for, and looking for. He's right before them. Jesus is the Messiah. In Luke 24, it goes on to say in verse 28 that they drew near to the village, which they were going and he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. In verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. In that moment, <laughs> They understood who they were eating with. They understood the one that they had been longing for. The Messiah was there. The Bible says he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures, the prophecy was true. Can't you see him? The Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah. That in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of messianic prophecies that point to Christ. And Christ is the fulfillment of these prophecies. Just a handful. That he would be born in Bethlehem. That he would be preceded by a messenger. John the Baptist. That he entered Jerusalem on a donkey. That he was betrayed by a friend who received 30 pieces of silver. That he was silent before his accusers. That he died in Roman crucifixion used for criminals where they pierced his hands and his feet. Hundreds of messianic prophecies fulfilled in Christ. 
But here is a visual, a visual to help us see just how God, Christ, the God-man, the God-man came and fulfilled these prophecies as the Messiah. Peter Stoner, in his classic book, wrote a book called Science Speaks. A science mind, very different than mine, so I appreciate uh, the, the, the insight, the scholarship, being able to, to help us visualize. He, he wanted to calculate the chance that any one person, any man, could fulfill just eight of those prophecies. And he calculated it that it would be one in 10 to the 17th power of a chance that one person could fulfill just eight of those prophecies. That is a 10 with 17 zeros. That's not much of a chance. <laughs> now to help visualize even more, in my pocket I have a silver dollar. I haven't seen one of these in a long time. And, uh, and, and, and uh, the author in, in his in his writing, he references a silver dollar. And so last night, I'm like, I know I got one of these somewhere. And my lovely bride, who comes to the rescue much of the time, says, I know where it is. And, and here it is, silver dollar right here. Okay, so here, here's the picture. To help us visually see the staggering odds of, of this, this probability, the author proposes that you take one of these silver dollars. Okay, so, so there's, there's 10 to the 17th power. Silver dollars. And you lay them across the state of Texas. All right. Any Texans in the house? Hey, oh, we got a Texan. All right. All right. So Texas, big place, big state. All right. So you lay these coins out across the state of Texas. In, in doing that, you would find that they would stack across the state two feet deep. That's how many of these coins we're talking about. But, but here's the deal. Now, Mark one of the silver dollars. So put a big X on it or somewhere and then just throw it somewhere in Texas. And now mix all of those silver dollars, that massive, massive coins all around. Then take uh, a, a willing volunteer, blindfold them and send them into Texas. And the odds that they would pick out the marked silver dollar is how difficult it would be for one person to fulfill eight of those prophecies. Unless, unless it's the God-man, unless it's a divine appointment. He goes on to say, well, what would it look like if one person filled 48 and the odds go to 1 in 10 to the 157th power? I don't even know what number that is. I don't know what that's called. But what the, what, what the, what the text is painting the picture is that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the only one who could? He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You say, well, what does this mean for us? It means the same thing for us that it meant for these two brothers that were leaving Jerusalem on the way to Emmaus. In the, in the, the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18 and 23, a familiar uh, text that we come around around Christmas, the angel interaction with Joseph. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, Verse 18 through 23, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, that when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22 says, And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We just sang about it. God with us. So here's the prophet Isaiah prophesying 700 years before the arrival of Jesus. He prophesied under various kings in Judah. He was a, he was a prophet to Judah. And so multiple kings, one of those being King Ahaz. And, 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 and the context there is that you had Israel to the north and Syria were kind of joining forces and they were threatening Judah. Now, there's a lot more to that. I wish I had time to dig into that. But, but here's the thing. Ahaz is, is he's scared. He, he's nervous. He, he's, he's fearful. He's got this range of emotions. This is the context that the Lord sent Isaiah to speak to King Ahaz. And he's basically saying, calm down. Don't fear. Be quiet. In time, neither of these will be here. The Lord through Isaiah says to, to Ahaz, he says, ask for a sign. Isaiah says to King Ahaz, ask for a sign. Ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Which could be taken as a way of saying, I, I'm not, I don't believe this. I'm not going to pull through. I don't, I don't trust God. This is when Isaiah said this. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. I'm going to ask for one. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And so time and time again, all through the scripture, God is sending signal after signal after signal to his people to reveal that he is the Messiah, that he is the only hope for the world. That in the Old Testament, the Messiah would come in the church age. The Messiah has come. We look ahead to the second coming of Jesus, and we see that Christ is the Messiah, and He is our hope. Hope is spelled J E S U S. Christ is our hope. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So, what does? How does this apply to our lives? A couple different ways. One would be is that Jesus is the Messiah. He, he is the only one. He is the God-man who is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Colossians 1.19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus is the Messiah. And because Jesus is the Messiah, that means we can trust his word. This means his word is true. Just a, about a month ago, I had the privilege to come alongside North Star Academy. It's an online Christian school, awesome organization, and, and, and come alongside them. They had a spiritual emphasis week where we did Bible study, uh, and it's all online. And, and literally, we were having those Bible studies, and there were kids with all over the world. They were, they were all, I mean, Africa and, and, and Aust- I don't know, there might have been Australian, Hawaii, right down the road. I mean, they're, they're from all over the place. And so we walked through a couple studies. One was all about how God has designed us for a relationship with Him. And then the other was that we were designed for a relationship with others, for the ch- with the church. 
And then we would have the Bible study, and then we would open up for questions, do Q&A, which I love, I love Q&A. Questions are great. Questions are encouraged, because I believe when a sincere seeking heart is seeking answers, God will reveal himself in truth. And I don't remember exactly how it played out or exactly what was asked, but it was something to the effect of a student asked, uh, why did Jesus have to die if there are so many ways to God? And it was something like that. And, and, so, and so what we did was we took a quick time out from the question. And I said, let's back up for just a second. I said, here is my conviction as a believer. My conviction as a believer is that the word of God is God-inspired, God-authored, authoritative for my life. That the Bible is written by men, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that God's, is, God's word is truth without any mixture of error. That all scripture is profitable, all scripture is God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3, 17, 16, 17. And so here's the thing, as a believer, if I settle that, if I settle that, if we settle that in our lives, then that makes the answer so much clearer to any question that might come. Because in a grace-filled, loving way, it was like, well, where did that question come from? It came from the outside voices. It came from the world. Because what can happen is we turn down the, the volume of the Word of God in our life and the volume of the world turns up, it can cause these, this kind of like shakiness. Like, well, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. No, so we go to the Word. We go to the Word and we're able to see that Jesus says in, in John 14, 6, he says, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus is the only way and this is this is why it's so important for us to saturate our hearts with the word to soak in the word because Jesus is the Messiah and so because Jesus is the Messiah his word is true and we can rest in it we can rest in it and because his word is true that means that no matter what and no matter how dark or how uncertain or how unsure things become I always have hope. And it's not wishful thinking hope. It is confident assurance hope. Because in the waiting, and while things are maybe not going as we think or as we thought or as we had hoped, the reality is, is God is always working. And He's working all things together for our good, for His glory, for our good. And this is why with the Word, we can go into those life struggles, circumstances, whether it's a battle, we cling to Romans 8, 37, that we are more than conquerors in Him. That when we find ourselves under, whether it's financial duress or stress, or not 100% sure how it's all going to work out, Philippians 4, 19 says, my God will meet all of your needs. That when we find ourselves being fearful, anxious, and not even like, I don't know, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm nervous. That we can look to Psalm 103, 2 and 3 that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If the Lord is my light and my salvation, who do I, who do I have to fear? That if it's a confidence thing, if it's like, I don't know if God can use me. I mean, look at what I've done. Look at, look at how broken I am. Look at how messed up I am. Look at how I keep struggling. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 that says, He has made us competent. It is Him in us 
that allows us to live for His glory and His honor. And then just this nervousness, if there's an anxiety, Psalm 121.8, the Lord will watch over your coming and your going. And so we cling to this. We cling to the Word. We cling to our hope, Jesus. And it's the same hope that these prophets of old clung to because they knew Christ would be faithful. And the big truth is that the birth of Christ proves to us that God always keeps His promises. This is why Paul could say to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 18, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, all of these things, all the brokenness, it's all passing away. It's all temporary. It's all transient. But rather, that is why we fix our eyes on Christ, who is our hope. He's our hope. And so to the believer, He is with you. He's unfolding His plan, and He's faithful. And He's working in the waiting. And so may we find ourselves, even like these two brothers, who are on that road to Emmaus at the end of the day, and they have just realized who it was that they were dining with and who they were talking with. And it says this in Luke 24, wrapping it up here in verses 33 through 35, it says, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. In other words, it's been a long day. <laughs> They've lived a lot of life on this day. And as they understand and realize who Christ is, that Christ is the Messiah, they, 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 they hit the door. <laughs> they, they didn't stick around. They didn't linger. They're like, okay, I'm kind of hungry now, so I'm going to eat some of this bread. The, the, the Bible says, it says they rose the same hour and returned. In other words, they had to tell others. They had to. Because they understood Jesus, the Messiah, is the only hope for anybody. And so that hour that seven-mile trek, they turned around and made a dart back to Jerusalem and said, yeah, what you were saying earlier about how the tomb is empty and how Peter went and it was empty, yeah, he's risen indeed. <laughs> he is risen. He's risen. He's risen. And so the encouragement for us as believers is who in our circle, who in our workplace, who in our family, who in our neighborhood, who along the way do we need to put the bread down and do we need to go and share the love of Christ? We have the Spirit of Christ. We have His grace. We have His Word. We have His power. And He's called us to go and to be a witness. And so is the encouragement for us as believers is that as we go out of this place, is that would we go and tell just like these brothers went and told May we go and tell, and may we cling to Christ, our living hope. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I hope what you see and what you hear is for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
And he came and Christ lived a life that we could never live. And he died a death we should have died. And that he was crucified on a cross for our sin. That he was placed in the tomb and that he rose from the dead. And the Bible says this. You want to have a relationship with Jesus? The Bible says, for God so loved the world. Whosoever, whosoever believes in him. Whosoever, whosoever. If you come to that time and place where you realize, I'm a sinner and I, I, need, I, I need a Savior. Until you realize you have sin, you don't need a Savior. But when you realize I'm not perfect, I'm broken, I need help. You realize the Bible says all of sin falls short of the glory of God. When you realize that, you realize I, I, I am a sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness. That you would repent. That means you change your mind about it. In other words, you're no longer okay with it. As a matter of fact, you, you despise it. You're tired. of It's a change of thinking about your sin and you repent of your sin and you turn to Christ and you place your faith and trust in Christ alone as Lord for salvation. The Bible says, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise. It's a promise. And so again, God's grace to his word, just like he was firing signal after signal after signal, even through the word, he's firing signal after signal after signal. There is only satisfaction found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this passage. God, thank you for this post-resurrection conversation. And how you are helping these two brothers connect the dots. That more than just having a knowledge of the scriptures, it is to believe in the one who is the object of the scriptures. That you are Christ. You are the Messiah. And so, Father, I thank you that God has, they listened. Christ, expound this Bible study. I wish I could have heard it, but just... Beginning with Moses and the prophets and how they were all, they were all pointing to him. And God, the world is such a, a, a broken place in desperate need of hope. And you are the only lasting, real, sincere hope that any person has. And I pray that as believers, we would rest in that hope. That we would not be discouraged or weary. That we would not grow weary in doing good. That we would keep our eyes on you. Stay faithful to living for your glory. Faithful to living for your mission. That we will cling to your word. And that we will tell others about the blessed hope found in Christ. And Father, for that person who may be here who doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray today would be the day that they would push all of the reasons why they shouldn't to the side and hear God the voice of your Holy Spirit with an invitation to come into a relationship to be forgiven to be restored into a relationship with God and live with purpose and not only experience life and life to the full today but eternal life forever because Father you are coming again you have come the first advent the second advent is still to come. So God, we love you. And as we reflect on your word, the power of who you are, God, I pray that you'll be honored. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of, of, uh, of response. And, and so it's going to look a little bit different today in that um, 
just instrumental, but, but here's the invitation. You want to stand, stand. You want to sit, sit. You want to come pray, come pray. Pastors will be down front. If we can have an opportunity to pray over you, pray with you, that would be a privilege. If you're here today and you're like, you know what, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to come. We would love to pray with you, walk with you through that. But it could be even today if you find yourself, you're like, God, like life is pretty good right now. And can, can I encourage you? Maybe it could be, God, would you show me who I need to invest in this week? Will you show me who needs your hope this week? And let's just give time to focus on God. See how God wants to lead us in this time.